0: the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com.
2: Sean. I pay
3: uh, big money for my brand.
2: How is that going?
3: It's going great because I, I use all of my co- customers to uh, create it.
2: Oh, yeah. So you pay somebody, but then you have absolutely no control over it. No. You let, you let, you let the others do it. You know, I, I love that you say that because today on this Redefining Society episode, we're, we're going to go a little bit outside of cybersecurity. I, I would say completely outside of cybersecurity. And uh, we talk about technology related to the way we create content and the way that our brands, our companies are perceived nowadays. So what you said is very relevant because it's about how much control do we have now on the way that uh, they were portrayed on the mass media and the general media over there. And uh, do you ever Google yourself? I'm kind of scared of it.
3: I... uh... I Google myself every day. Oh, no, wait, that's something else.
2: <laughs> is it, that's the song, uh, You're So Vain, when it comes in. <laughs> exactly. Well, you're so scared.
3: <laughs> Somebody's
2: watching me, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, Hi. Um, Hi. are you excited?
3: Uh, I mean, uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation, Marco. I think there's a lot... No, no question. The, the amount of content out there, and who's creating it, and who's mining it, and who's using it, and and then the perception of it. And of course, I suspect we'll get into the uh, the technology behind all of this, where um, we as humans kind of get out of the way, and and technology starts to do some of these things for us. And
2: and, and that's not scary at all.
3: It's going to do what we train it to do or forget to train it to do.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. There is a, we open an entire new box there, a new can of who knows what kind of worm there are in there. But you know what? We invited a guest. We're going to let him self introduce to the show and to the audience. And then uh, we'll we'll go from there. So if you're ready, I'm going to pass the ball to Christopher Willis and he's going to let us know about uh, who he is and what he does and why is he going to make this conversation interesting for us?
3: Bring, bring the content to us, Chris. Well,
2: let's <laughs> bring the content. Uh,
4: my name is Chris Willis. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at a company called AcroLynx um, based out of Germany and uh, in the Boston area. Uh, we are AI for enterprise content uh, improvement, essentially, so making content higher quality and more effective. Um, and uh, the conversation that we're going to have today I think is going to be largely around the way that content shapes your business uh, especially now uh, after the, the happenings of the last couple of years
2: and that's going to make it interesting because as soon as you put artificial intelligence in there we expect that we can just sit down and see things happen and uh, it's not really like that, is it? It's it's not, it, it
4: could be um, but I think, you know writers still write as an art and uh, if we automatically change the content that's being written um, as, a, as a function of, of our AI um, it could potentially not just change the context of what's being written but really bum out the writers um, that are trying to create with with their thoughts and ideas so you know could we do it sure we could do it um, do we do it right now no Um, but there is, I suppose, a future where there is automation around that.
3: So let's start at kind of the beginning, Chris, and and as a content person of many, uh, many days now, there's different types of content for different types of audience. Um, Some of it's pure storytelling, some of it's finding data and research and, trying to present some information to somebody to help them think about a particular situation in a certain way, right? So how how have we evolved in terms of how content is created? I was joking that, that we pay a lot, of, a lot of money for somebody to, to create our content, but then a lot of it's already created elsewhere by our customers and by our partners and by analysts and all kinds of other places. So how do we get started with content? Where have we been? going with it
4: well so content is a loaded word right um what is content and and everybody that creates content thinks of it as what they do so i mean for me uh, i'm in marketing when you say content i'm thinking of content marketing i'm thinking of ebooks and webinar slide decks um one pagers product information that's that's what we create but that's just me um, my technical counterparts in my organization are creating the ui strings that sit within our software they're doing software documentation they're doing product manuals Um, our support team creates uh, support tickets absolutely content uh, and really everything in between and i think over the course of the last several well if we go back even further for the last 10 years maybe maybe we've all been selling this fear, uncertainty, and doubt that comes from the future digital shift. It's coming, you gotta be ready for it. The internet is taking over and someday your only touch point with your consumers is gonna be through the internet. And that's never gonna happen, that's silly. That's that's fear that I'm pushing into your organization. Flash forward to March of 2020 and all of a sudden there it is, it happened. Um, We turned the corner and the digital shift has occurred. And whether you were ready for it or not, Every major brand in the entire world that has any contact with a consumer or a buyer is doing it digitally from home. Let's add some complexity to it from home. Um, And if that's how you communicate now, then that concept of content that spans your entire life cycle starts to matter more, right? Because that's your only touch point. And if you want to differentiate from a brand standpoint, you need to align all those touch points. There needs to be some leveraged rule set that helps your company to sound like your company, because what we, what we know, right. you already said it in the intro is that your brand really is one of your most valuable assets. And, and it's, it's providing you with opportunities to differentiate, um, and you have to you have to nurture that you have to protect your identity you have to evolve it with your audiences and then you need to govern it not just in my marketing material which again you think of with brand brand stuff goes to marketing stuff and sales stuff but across all of those touch points so your software needs to sound or your product needs to sound like your product documentation. It needs to be mirrored in your product manuals. It needs to come out through enablement, educational content into your sales and marketing, into your post purchase support and service so that you have that single threaded communication with your end consumer. And they know that they're talking to one person. You know, Google is an example talks a lot about talking like a human. A lot of really smart people at Google And they're all creating content that would be largely uh, different based on each one of their writing styles. But Google wants to talk like a human, so no buzzwords, no trying to weed out acronyms, Um, be conversational, be lively, talk about you and us, not esoteric concepts, so that it feels like it's connecting with you as a person across their entire content stack, like everywhere they create content. And that's, um, that's kind of where we found ourselves as we, you know, we got midway through 2020 and into 21 is that that's now the playing field for differentiation. Um, that's how you keep customers. That's how you get customers. That's how you, re- you, know, you, you retain over time. Uh, if you do it well, things are going nicely. If you don't, you're seeing businesses that are having a huge amount of trouble keeping up with, with customer growth uh, and customer retention.
2: Well those are a great point and I think people listening right now it's already thinking maybe maybe they have a small business maybe it's it's their own personal consulting business a writer or wh- whatever I mean we see even like you know how the way celebrity needs to maintain their persona online and you just slip once. You know, just like a little rock, and you're rollerblading, and you're on the ground. Yeah. Um, and and what you describe as a large corporation like Google, and you know, we can think Apple, we can think everybody else out there, not just technology, but they How do you control all of this? It's it's it sounds to me like a a, a gigantous <laughs> effort, and and that's why I want to bring to maybe you can help us define what content governance means and and how it could be applied, because gone are the time where we used to say, as long as they talk about you is good advertising, right? No no more. Absolutely no more.
4: Right. No, it's I mean, the whole aspect of, of governance, you know, clearly, you know, I sell software that does that, but you don't need as a small company, that's not necessary. It's just thinking through what is what is important to you in the way that you create content. Um, when, you know, when you talk about content governance, you're really talking about this content strategy, understanding what the purpose of your content is, uh, and then taking active steps to ensure that it meets the goal. So creating a set of guidelines for how you want your content to operate. And so at the top of a guy, it, to best understand a guideline, let's take the top one. Top one is we're all going to spell the name of our company right, regardless of what company we're at. But if you want, I mean, that sounds easy. If you work at AcroLinks, we have one name. It's got an X in it, so it's probably difficult to spell for some people. But um, it's the same thing all the time. But if you're American Express, right, Amex, A-E, AmericanExpress.com, what are we? Right now, um, and what are we in different situations? So that one guideline starts the conversation, but then it's who do you want to be? So I work at a small business, um, and one of the first things that I did uh, when I got here was think about who we are, what we want to communicate, how we want to sound to our audience. And again, it doesn't take software to do this. I know that we don't want to come off, we're scientific we're natural language processing and AI, but we don't want to sound arrogant. We want to be confident, friendly, and maybe a little bit funny, uh, but not outrageous. And all of this sounds exactly like what a marketing person would do, right? Putting together a bunch of words of who we want to be. But can you make that in your in your business actionable? What does is, what is relatable mean when you're actually trying to make the rubber hit the road? And it's you know, I want to keep things simple. I want to you know, know and adopt my audience. I want to show feelings. So tactically, I want to avoid long sentences and paragraphs. I want to uh, limit my reliance on buzz and marketing speak. I want to eliminate corporate language, use we and you to make connections. And those rules, you know, again, that just becomes the thing that you publish to the people that write. The challenge in any business of any size, is that everybody writes now. You don't have a pool of content creators necessarily. Um, a byproduct of going to work every day is the creation of, of content and building that content asset in your business without even knowing you're doing it. So publishing these rules, putting together your style book, and making sure that everybody understands it and uses it is a way to be active with that governance, um, but the first step is understanding that content strategy. What am I doing with my content? What is it supposed to achieve? How do I need it to sound to do that? Fun story. Um, I did this, right? When I got here, I put together how I want our content to work, how I want it to sound. We're relatable, witty, fun, confident, knowledgeable, cool bunch of rules to go along with it. And we started creating content for the front office. So sales and marketing and customer success, the BDR team would leverage this for emails and it resonated with our audience we we had a voice that was appreciated by the people that we were creating this content for so me as a a, a bit of a megalomaniac went on a power kick said cool i want everybody to use this who else who's doing stuff here who has content and uh, i ended up shooting over to the uh, the sport team and said here's the set of guidelines I would like you to use. And they said, cool, thank you. And they started using the guidelines to create uh, responses to support requests. You know who doesn't think that we're relatable, witty, funny, confident, or knowledgeable? Our support customers. They just want an answer. They just want an answer. Please don't make it funny. Please don't, don't do that. Just tell me how to do this, solve it, add clarity and consistency, align with terminology. So these are all other examples of guidelines that are more important than, in this case, um, things like liveliness um, and and um, connection. They they care more about consistency, clarity, terminology use. Um, and well, talking to me, of-
3: Chris about con- context and the type of delivery, because one thing is uh, a marketing message. That mm-hmm. gets pushed through, let's say, a press release or through a news alert or through some report somewhere, or it's a slide deck that's being uh, presented in in a video slide on, on on the on SlideShare or whatever it is, versus a conversation where you're having uh, an interaction with with a prospect or with an analyst or with uh, uh, an investor, or, or or the other where you're you're almost responding to information in the in this context of support. So different, and there may be a gazillion other examples here, but how does context and the type of conversation change the way you collect, procure, ingest data, massage it to be what you want it to be, and then have a response based on that?
4: Yeah, I mean, that leads right into the whole concept of of modular data. Um, So having pieces of information pre-answered, if you will, uh, for use throughout your organization. So when your board member asks you how many customers you have, That's a super easy thing to mess up. Um, But having a piece of data available, that is, we have X number of customers, these are examples of customers that we can reference, um, aligns everybody on how to answer these questions in modular data, whether it's on the technical side with with XML and data, or on the marketing side, just storing a data table full of information, um, helps to bring the company together. It also becomes the talk track. Um, So in conversation, you're essentially learning as you go. And by presenting not just the talk track, but the reasoning behind the talk track, it helps to get everybody to understand why they're saying what they're saying and build that alignment over time.
2: So I need Sean always to go to the data, right? <laughs> Thanks, Sean. <laughs> uh, data oh, I, and automation. I, 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 everything looks like a project to me. I, I know, I, I know, mean, but this is that, what we're that,
3: trying to accomplish. Now, how do we get there?
2: Oh, absolutely. I was I was just like making fun of you because I would stay all on the psychological aspect of it, and uh, but but you have to mix the two. That's that's why I made this joke, right? So now here we are, and and we have ton of data ton of feedback. It's not a guessing anymore. Mm-hmm. And 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 the way that we want to try to use artificial intelligence and other, you know, the algorithm, machine learning and other advanced technology to to help us with this. And I, I like to say every time I talk about artificial intelligence that, that we're kind of playing God in a way. Like, you know, like controlling our the human the way we want and creating the perfect human. And if there is one thing that artificial intelligence is doing quite well compared with other things, it's it's understanding the language, right? Uh, translation and all of these, and of course recognizing visual and sound and all of that. So it, it's very narrow, but certain things can be done correctly. But then you have that creative, contextualized issue of how humans react to things in a normal, spontaneous, human way. And artificial intelligence, you need to prepare it in a way to do that. I don't think it's developing their own persona. Not yet, and I hope it never does, to be honest with you. So tell me how now you can connect. What is fantasy and what is reality when you talk about artificial intelligence in creating content, honestly?
4: Well, I mean... Each day there gets to be less and less fantasy. There is absolutely okay. systems that will write content. And it is, it's interesting. I, I've, I've tried several of them and they, I mean, I would say it works. It's useful. You still have to know what you want to say. You still have to create pieces of content. Um, and then the AI systems that write content will extrapolate out from there. I don't think that any individual writers in the world are going to lose their job as a result of that in the next however many years. Um, where this gets more interesting and more useful um, in today's world is with an AI-driven system that into which you can pour your guidelines. So as a content owner, I have a whiteboard in my office, and on that whiteboard are all the things that I care about from a content strategy standpoint. So that's going to be, you know, correct language, consistency, um, scannability of my content, my tone of voice, the clarity. So essentially what education level I'm, I'm writing for, um, all of my brand language, um, terminology, words we use and words we don't use. Um, it could be emotion. It could be inclusive language. It could be legal terminology, all of that. Is, is written up here. It's, it's great. I can show my board that I know how to c- create content, feel really good about it. The problem is I'm sitting in my house right now, as is the rest of my team. So nobody can see my whiteboard. And if they could, they probably don't care that much about it because everybody's just trying to do their job. Nobody that works for me is a full-time writer. Um, so they're just putting things on paper. So what you would want to do here is take all of that that's on my whiteboard and consume it into a system that would use those set those up as as guidelines right and then with those guidelines we're aligning we're reading content that's being written and then aligning it with those guidelines so pulling you know the, the natural language processing is pulling uh streams of characters. Out of your content, extracting that, um, identifying the tokens and sentences within there, and then adding linguistic data. So morphology is an example. Um, then identifying terminology. So using variant detection to identify terminology throughout that. Um, applying our um, in, in the case of my company, our proprietary rules um, patterns on top of that. Then pulling out. mix of rules and statistics to create a tone of voice and then leveraging in the rest of that guidance so it's making sure that as i write i'm staying on track and the reason that we do it the way that we do it is because we think that the art of writing still comes from the person and i want you to be able to say the things you want to say i care most about the fact that it's readable It's using the correct words, Um, but as an example, in my last company, we were a testing company. We were a mobile cloud testing company specifically, but we sold to DevOps and DevOps folks don't test software. They care about quality software. They don't use the word test. They're not software testers. They're not QA. So strip the word test out of everything that we create for public consumption. Marco, I can't tell you the name of it. I can't even tell you what we do without saying test. Like, it's impossible. So assume that everybody that writes content for me throughout my organization and externally uses the word test liberally. And sometimes they mean it. Sometimes they're using it as a verb, that's cool. Um, but if they use it to describe what we do, we need to catch that. So I can't just automate this. I can't say every time you say test, say quality. It doesn't work that way there needs to be the ability to maintain context. And if we take that away, if we automate, if we use AI to completely sanitize content and align completely with guidelines, it's going to change what people say. It's going to make work more difficult. It's not going to be a benefit anymore. It's, it's going to be a headache. And that's something that would essentially cause any potential technology to die on the vine. If it becomes a pain in the butt, nobody's
3: going to want to use it and that's it to, to me is what's what strikes me because again looking at this from a from a project development perspective I love the idea of abstraction and containers and compartments and modules and and you can kind of piece things all together in different ways depending on what you're trying to do and in one sense I'm thinking about it in terms of okay I, I have this core set of Information I want to create a message from it and deliver it to many places, whether it be in blog format or a video format or a TikTok or whatever it is, and who knows what's coming next, right? Mm-hmm. So we can take that and deliver it, but is it always going to fit those different things? And then the other, the other thing I want to touch on is kind of the, the timing. Where a story three years ago, a really cool customer use case is not appropriate today. <laughs> maybe that company did something bad or with or they that ad campaign was running in an environment that just had a mass shooting and it's not appropriate to run that ad in that environment today how, how do we use technology and perhaps ai and, and machine learning to protect ourselves from situations where we're not able to deliver new formats and then when we do maybe the timing is not right
4: so I don't know if you're personal friends with some of the companies that I talk to on a regular basis or not, but it sounds like you are because risk, as it <laughs> turns out, is one of the biggest reasons that companies adopt this type of technology. Um, one friend of mine said that his entire job is is created just to keep people out of jail because it's, in, it's a regulated industry. He works in financial services, specifically in banking. So, there are compliance and regulatory issues that they deal with constantly. Things are always changing. So something that you wrote last quarter, last week, could be outdated immediately. So they have to be able to go into all of their repositories and maintain that content for current compliance. And so if you ask the average company three years ago, two years ago, um, how much content do you have? The first answer is, I don't know what you're talking about. What's content? Uh, once you define what content is, in this case, the answer is, I'm not sure we have three or four different content systems, potentially millions of pages of content, um, sitting in these content repositories. Okay. Well, how often are you going through that and cleaning those out? Mm, we have an annual project to do that. How much of that content do you touch? About 10%. Do you just throw out the other 90? No. What happens if somebody goes in and uses it? We hope for the best. And that is the risk you're talking about. That's where you pull something out and it's got a reference in it that is no longer timely. That's where you pull something out and it has something that is illegal to to say in today's market. And so the ability to use AI to go in and scrub all of that content, like AI is designed for those big challenges to go in and look across millions of pieces of content uh, and find those problematic issues and flag them. And and, I mean, on the one hand, we we, we talked about automation, going in and, and automatically removing those, flagging them, making those documents unreadable. And then on the other hand, I don't want to rewrite your content. Maybe you meant to do something really sketchy and illegal. I mean, I doubt it. I hope not. But that flag now triggers an action from a human to go and look at it and identify the issue. There it is. What do you want to do with it? And you can either change it or not change it, put it back in the repository for use or remove it for good. But it gets you 100% coverage in a world where you were at best 10%.
3: Yeah, and the thing that, another thing that comes to mind for me, and I, I, when I'm looking at cybersecurity and technology and and companies building stuff to run their business, and they're not always thinking about well, how does this impact consumer privacy or customer privacy, or how does this impact uh, the the risk profile we have? Uh, I often try to bring the conversation to well, don't. Don't initiate the, or don't put the exposure in place in the first place. And I guess my question to you is how can we get our hands wrapped around so we, we have this content? doesn't mean we have to use it, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe we shouldn't create that content in the first place because it's going to date itself and and, and age out and, and not be useful in two, three months anyway. So don't invest in that. Are, are there ways to... Take a more strategic view and and look at it from a risk perspective. Look at it from an investment perspective to say, Let, let's head this way, not this way. Go big here. Avoid this at all cost over here.
4: Yes, uh, and it's essentially implementing automation inside your process that gates your content repositories. So I can't stop people from writing things. I I mean, other than saying, please don't do that, um, people do what they do, but I can limit what gets put through into production. So if you think about continuous integration, you're creating code, you're checking it into a repository, that repository goes through a quality process. And in the morning, you wake up with flags, go in and correct your software build, Um, we can do that same process with content. So write, 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 check it in. And then the system goes through and looks for all those problems that you're talking about and throws that back before it ever goes any further. I mean, in a world where there's the ability to put a, a, a score, a, a numeric value on the alignment of content with corporate guidelines, um, if it doesn't achieve a certain number, it doesn't move forward. It doesn't go to editorial. It doesn't make it to review. It'll never get to production. So that those gates all the way through your content creation process in whatever department are what protect your organization from unintended consequences of what's in your content.
3: And maybe, maybe you can do a little storytelling for me. I want to, I want to dig in. I'm going to go back to the support example and, 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 I'm sure you see this, I see it all the time, where there are bots mm-hmm. running front level, level one, I think it's called uh, support, where I have a question presenting a problem, the bot comes back and, and gives me a response based on other responses, based on other questions that, that other customers have had. And over time, I presume that system learns how questions are asked, data is presented by the by the customer and then ultimately either a person or a machine puts a response in there. How, how does that system work in terms of, I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but how does that system work in terms of making sure that we're not letting this kind of where I was joking about in the beginning, letting the customer drive (laughs) the conversation versus the machine in the bag, just responding because the customer is so heavy and consistent with their language and the words that they're using.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big challenge that all of the, the chat clients are dealing with right now is that you, you only, I mean, you only start with so many available responses and your system will get smarter over time. And you're leveraging that, that data that's coming in and the feedback that you're getting. But that feedback becomes the critical piece of it. If you can't assess whether or not your assistance was valuable, understandable clear consistent um, leveraging the right words um, then it doesn't get smarter and that's one of the things that I think we didn't think about back at the beginning of chatbots. is here's your answer cool end of conversation and that can't be the way that this works it has to be this two-way conversation of am I solving your problem because it's the only way that we're gathering the feedback that makes the AI in this case smarter Um, and then when you build into that, the fact that there are people in the background that are creating answers, uh, that are feeding into this engine in real time, they need, they need to be creating answers that are clear and concise, that solve problems. And the only way that they're getting feedback on the work that they're creating is through that real-time feedback from the end user Um this does create a big huge loop that continues on forever of is this working yes or no how do i make it better and then you bring in the third le- the third level on this which is their people and they're using their language to solve this problem and how do i align them with the voice of the business or at least the attitude of the business because what what you see out there is that people start writing like they write and you're getting emojis and shorthand and that A, isn't helpful, but B, very rarely uh, is part of the personality of the brand that they're presenting for. So if, I, if I'm if i communicating with the Erica bot at Bank of America, my bank, and Erica starts throwing emojis and thumbs ups at me, <laughs> I mean, yikes.
2: But, you know, so somebody is going to love it and somebody is going to hate it because when you're a storyteller or when you communicate, I mean, we, as human, and I go back to that, we, we know how to adopt. I mean, you, you, why so hard to text, for example, interact with text and language when you don't have the feedback of the visual aspect, when you have, you know, you, you, you don't have the hands gesture. Of course, I'm Italian here. You can't see the podcast, but I'm going to do that. And so that's already a handicap right there. And, uh, but, but I'm going to go back to the way we start every conversation about artificial intelligence. There is this expectation, and I have to thank marketing department for that, too. We got AI. We can do whatever we want. It's going to take care of everything, especially in cybersecurity, to Well, it's narrow. It's helping us. It's kind of like the car is not driving itself, but if you have a good autonomy, I still need you to drive the car and I'm going to help you to stay in the lane. I'm going to brake if there is an emergency. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily going to drive from point A to point B all by myself. Not yet. So I think we can wrap this conversation with considering that writing and, and creating content. I mean, we create content. That's that's our job, right? Podcast, You can do it writing. you can do telling story, you can do visually. we We do need the the human creativity to do that. But I think that the the bottom line of this and the and the content governance come in when you want to have certain rules yeah. and really be sure that the company presents itself the way that you want it to be. Although at the end of the day, the brand is what the consumer think it is. Is not what we're trying to make it happen and and portray it that way. So, um, Sean, unless you get something else to add, did, you well, know it, when we talk about me, this, I can go forever. The,
3: the recent story for me, and I don't care which way this went, um, but I, I started using new service here in, in, in town and I was referred to as Mr. Martin, Mr. Martin, Mr. Martin. Every time I went went to this place and then all of a sudden it switched to thank you Sean and that switch I don't care Um, neither is fine they're they're both me (laughs) but the switch was different and caught me and I guess my point is there may be different people expecting that emoji from the Eric app right or or maybe maybe the brand does change and the Eric app starts to use emojis (laughs) uh and and that switch could be off-putting so i guess my question is we if we don't think about the users in this scenario and all we think about is the content and how we use it and how we portray ourselves and forget about the other side of this I'm, i'm always concerned of where where things can go and i have 100 questions in my mind based on just that whole thing but there's oh, a whole
4: yeah. other half an hour talking oh, about audience. Oh, you
2: know what? Maybe we should have another conversation and we, we we have fun with, you know, language changing. It always changed. You know, it just took a lot longer. Now it changed so much faster in our society. And, Sean, it makes me think that maybe, and I'm quite sure that could be the case, like a, a, a bot will start using an emoji maybe if you have used an emoji. So it's like, okay, this, this guy likes emoji. Let's give him emoji back, right? <laughs> so there could be a variable right there that AI is, an, is learning the way that you want to be referred to. Do we want to be called Sean, Sean underground, Martin, that's Doctor, that's the underground whatever?
4: gangland emojis. <laughs> All I can think is that I ask Erica if I have enough money in my account to make the down payment on my car, and she gives me the grimace face back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I get it. Nope.
2: Yeah, or the rolling eyes. That, uh, it was like, you know what? No, no, not today. <laughs> well, Chris, this was fun. And I, I really hope that people had, a, as we usually say, you know, and they had a good time, they learned something, they have more questions in their mind than when they started this podcast that makes it successful because we love to make people think. So, Thank you so much. And for everybody else, uh, maybe there'll be, if you have some resources, maybe, you know, that, that can talk about the, this, this concept of content governance and so forth, uh, share it with us and uh, we will eventually put it in the notes. So fantastic. Thank you so much. And to everyone else, we'll see you next time on the next episode, episode of uh, Redefining Society.
3: Thanks, Chris. Thank you.
1: BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at BugCrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think,